The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We've been uh, studying the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, not only here on Sunday mornings, but also in our community groups. You may hear us call them C groups. Uh, if you're not in one, uh, then I would highly encourage you to be in one. It's sort of the, it's sort of the way that the, the pattern of life, the rhythm of life happens here at Doxa. We're big, we're, big, we're big on talking about a rhythm of life. And the way that it happens, the way you see it happen in Acts, the way you see it happen in the Scripture as the church would get together, they would get together, they would hear the apostles preach, and hopefully I'm not anything like an apostle, but I'm getting up here, and, or Dale or Jonathan or whoever's getting up here to preach, uh, Justin will be back up here next month, uh, that we're preaching what the apostles taught to you guys. But then, they, it says that they then they met house to house. And that's what our community groups are like, is we meet house to house with each other and we, we share and we push each other to Jesus. We open the scriptures together, we study them together, we talk together, and we share, we, we confess our sins to one another, we pray for each other, we help each other, we share life together. That's where that happens, not just in the community group meeting that happens on either Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever your group meets, but it happens as you share life with each other during the week. And so what we kind of, the pattern of life is here is uh, I'll get up here or Dale or whoever is preaching and we'll preach from the text. This week we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. That's what Rebecca uh, read from earlier. And then on uh, during the week when we get together in our community groups, we kind of chop up, like, what does that mean? Because really, like, you and I can come in here and we can hear somebody give, you know, if it was somebody else, maybe an amazingly eloquent, beautiful sermon, and you can leave and say, that was pretty good. And by the time you get to lunch, like, you don't really remember what I said. I know that's what happens, and that's okay. What, what is important is that we can get together as believers and we figure out, all right, how do I apply this to my life? What do I need to do in response to the word that was preached, or the word that we were reading this morning? And we respond in a couple ways. First of all, we respond today in communion. The reason that we have communion every week is he said, do this uh, as often as you do it together to remember me. And we, we say, like, we forget him a lot, so we need to remember him every week. And this also serves as a point in the service to remind us of what Jesus did for us and for us to approach the table remembering what he did for us. And it gives us a chance and preparation for it to respond in repentance and prayer and supplication and asking him to help us if we need to. And so I encourage you guys, if you're not in a C group, you can see uh, Dale and get signed up for the city. And the, the way it works is you sign up on the city, Dale will send you an invitation, or you can see Burton, the guy who's a Michigan fan. He's depressed today, but he's also in the bright blue shirt there in the middle, and you can see him, and he will get you in a C group, and that will be awesome. Uh, we're calling the series Pretty Ugly Bride, and that's uh, sort of the picture of that... Uh, if you have any sort of, uh, we, I asked you guys the first week that we did this series, how many of you guys uh, have either grown up in or you've been a part of a church before you came here? Anybody who's, who's been a part of church? So almost everybody in the room. How many people here, of you guys that raised your hands, you've had a good experience? Like when you think about church, like yeah, there's, there's good thoughts, good memories that come to you. Anybody raise your hand? 
All right, cool. I'm not going to make you raise your hand here, but, uh, well, actually, will. Anybody here that whenever you think about church, like, you have sort of some, some bad memories, you have a, a, some bitter taste, maybe it's a mixture, like some bitter and some good taste in your mouth. Anybody has some bad experience with church? Yeah, so welcome to the church. Like, Paul is writing to the church. He's one of the, like, he's, he's one of the apostles. He's one, or most of the New Testament. He planted the church at Corinth. So you'd think, like, hey, it must be a pretty good church. Three and a half years later, he's writing back to them, and he's saying, hey, you guys are messed up. But he started out the book by saying, hey, you're the saints. But then he says, like he's getting to us right now in the meet. He's saying, but you guys are messed up. And the history of the church is that we're a pretty church. It's a beautiful church. It's the bride of Christ. So we had that nice taste in our mouth. But at the same time, it's sort of an ugly bride. And so we had that bitter taste as well. We, like, just like, like God is sort of like the pastor of the very first church with Adam and Eve. So he's got two people in the congregation. He's the pastor, the almighty creator God. And he puts them in this like, like church is great. He, like they're, they're in the garden, everything's good. And like five minutes later, they're talking to a snake, eating the apple or the whatever it was. And things go haywire like God's first congregation. Like he doesn't have a sterling, rep- a sterling record at the very beginning. So that's like sort of the history of being a part of the church. It's like a mixture of good and a mixture of bad. It's pretty, it's beautiful, but it's also ugly at the same time. Martin Luther had a, a Latin phrase, which I won't try to say because I mess it up every single time, but uh, it meant that we as believers are simultaneously saints and sinners at the same time. So if you're in here today, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are simultaneously a saint because Jesus Christ died on the cross. For, I don't know why, oh, I guess Jesus' banner over there. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He shed his sins, he shed his, he shed his blood for your sins to cover you. And so you are, by the, his sacrifice, his life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he stands between you and the wrath of God and he, his record becomes your record. So you are a saint before God. But yet, anybody been like messed up already today? Anybody like, like, like the day was fresh and, and going well for you and you already took a, a hard left turn? I mean, you're on your way to church and you fight with your spouse or you're yelling at your kid, you're knocking them with whatever you can grab in the car, trying to hold him in line. Like, and then you're like, oh, I'm on my way to church. And then you walk in and you're like, hey, everybody, I'm happy church mode now. Like, anybody took a hard left turn already today? We're simultaneously saints and sinners. And when you get a bunch of people who are simultaneously saints, and sinners, and you put them in a group, and you say, all right, go to C group, and come on Sunday morning, and share life together. What happens? Life goes haywire. It goes, uh, takes a hard left turn all the time, and so the church is a beautiful bride because of the sacrifice for Jesus, by Jesus for us, but it's ugly because it's made up of you and me, simultaneously saints and sinners, What we talked about that first week is that because you and I have had different experiences, some good and some bad, when we come into a church, when you came into this room, whether you call this your church home or not, you're just trying us out, you're, you're not sure why you're here, somebody invited you, somebody bribes you, thank you whoever bribes you, but got you here, and you're, you're here, and, and you're like, you're like uh, 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 you come in with certain expectations and assumptions about what church should or should not be, and it doesn't live up to that, and then you get disappointed. And so then what happens is like, so uh, what happens is the reason that you are here, because we're a new church, the reason that you are here is because something hasn't worked out for you wherever you've been before, most likely. 
Maybe you're here because you just heard like we're starting this church and you said, hey, that Randy and Dale guy, they're gonna need some help. So I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna help them out. And so there's some of us in here that said, hey, they need some help, we're gonna come help them out. But the rest of us in here, it's like uh, maybe you're a new believer and you tried us out and you became a believer and that is awesome. We've had some people that's happened in the past year that is really cool. Probably most of us in this room, you're just trying us out because something didn't quite work out where you were before. Maybe you're excited to be a part of something new. You're like kind of like the early adopter like I am. I like to try the new, the new gadgets, the new software. Anybody here already got the iPhone 6? Don't raise your hand because I'll be jealous. Like you like the new gadget, the new deal. And so like church plant is kind of your deal. I like to try out the new thing. I know there's gonna be some bugs and some kinks, but that's part of the fun of being on the, an early adopter edge of the way. Or maybe you're here because, um, because you're giving church or Jesus one last chance. You say, hey, I haven't heard anything bad about these people yet because we don't have much of a reputation because we're brand new. And so you're like, I'll try them out. Or you, maybe you said to Jesus on your way over here this morning or whenever you started coming here, this is your last chance. I'm gonna try this place. Every, every other place I've tried out has disappointed me. Something hasn't worked out. I'm gonna give this a shot. Or maybe you wanted to start over with a new group of people who don't know you yet. You know? Or maybe you might have settled on us because you can't find anything better yet. You might be looking for a church that's less doctrinal than the last church you've been at. You might be looking at a church for a church that's more doctrinal than the last church you've been at. You might be looking for a church that's less formal than the last church you are at or a church that's more formal than the last church you're at. You might be looking for a church so you can get your life back on track. You might be looking for a church that has a better children's ministry. You might be looking for a church that has better preaching, sorry. You might be looking for a church that has that has better music, you're welcome. You might be, be looking for a church that has louder music in the last place you're at or softer music in the last place you're at. You might be looking for a church that has plus more hymns in the last church you're at or less hymns. You might be looking for a church that has deeper relationships or a church that has fewer relationships. You might be looking for a church where no one knows you so you can slip in and slip out easily, but all of us come in here looking for a church that sort of will sort of meet that need that you and I are looking for. There seems to be as many churches in Myrtle Beach as restaurants, right? And so you kind of like, just the same way you sort of pick your favorite restaurant, your go-to restaurant, because it has the food that you like, prepared in the way that you like, it's in the setting that you like, and it's a price point that you can afford. We kind of look for churches according to the same criteria. Hey, they serve up preaching close enough to the way that I like it. They serve up music close enough to the way that I like it. Their children's ministry is kind of close enough to the way I like it. And you know, they don't push money too hard. And I can kind of get along with the people well enough for a, an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Most of us ask these questions about church. Really what we're asking is, what does this church offer me? What is this, what did this service, this is what you're gonna be asking when you leave here, I know you do it every single week, what did this service give me? How do I feel after the service? The band wasn't very good this morning. You know, Randy was really off today. Randy was particularly funny. The content wasn't very good, but he was funny this week, I can take that. Randy wasn't very funny this week, the content was engaging, I can, I can deal with that. What we're really asking is, what am I getting back in return for what I'm putting in?
I made the effort to show up on a Sunday morning. I made the effort maybe to go to a C group. I made the effort to I put some money in the basket, which we don't push. I put some money in the basket. And so I, I put in enough effort and I got this in return. I feel pretty good about what I'm getting in return. But what we're gonna see in this passage today is that Paul has a very different idea about who the church is, what the church is supposed to do, and who's it for. If you're keeping a score at home, which I'm sure you are, you might have seen that we skipped a couple of weeks ago 1 Corinthians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. That's because it, it's almost identical with, with uh, this, the passage this week. Couldn't get that out. Paul opens the letter, and he's saying in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. Is, Paul, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius and that no one may <coughs> excuse me, say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at uh, verse one of chapter three, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. Why not? I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy, anybody experienced that in church before, and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a, only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? See, the situation in the church of Corinth is that the church had broken down into divisions. But Paul isn't just concerned about the divisions that they had. Some people were saying, hey, I'm in Paul's camp. And this is this guy that came behind, because Paul came and planted the church. Then this guy, like a guest speaker came in after Paul left. His name was Apollos. He had some revival meetings, and he was a great preacher. And some people were like, hey, I am all about me some Apollos. I am subscribing to his podcast. I'm all like, I'm going to this church, like Paul planted it and all that's all cool. But I am like, I am all about Apollos' podcast. I'm going to his conferences. I'm listening to him. I'm reading his books, every single thing that comes out. I am all about me some Apollos. And other people said, hey, have you heard about this Peter guy? Like he's got, like he was one of the original apostles and he's got this great podcast. And they're like, no, I'm about his podcast. I read his books. That, that, that Apollos, he's stupid. But that Paul, he's stupid. Peter's the guy. They had all these divisions going on, and Paul's writing them, and he says, hey, your divisions are bad. I'm bothered with your divisions, but the thing I'm more bothered about is the thing that's causing your divisions among you. And that's your immaturity. He's saying, this is what I'm bothered about, the fact that you're church hopping all the time. That you're going from church to church to church, and you never find a home. The thing I'm bothered about that is the, the reason that I'm bothered that you think your church is the awesome church and every other church in the Myrtle Beach area is stupid. The reason I'm bothered about that is it shows an immaturity. Because you see, he says, 
He says he's concerned that they're thinking like mere men. That means he's concerned that they're thinking like the people who are of this present age who have no future age. You see, the world is made up of two groups of people. There are people who are of this age, who belong to this age. This world is what they call home. The, any rewards that they get in life today, that's all the rewards they get. This, they're living for this world. What they see and touch and feel is what they're working towards, is what they reward themselves with, is what, they're, what motivates them. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you might live in this age, but you are a member of the age to come. God's spirit indwells within you and has implanted you into another age. And what's at stake is that the, the church is called to be an embassy, it's called to be a, an outpost of the age that's to come in the middle of this age. It's supposed to be like a, a beautiful picture inside the darkness, inside the world of darkness. It's supposed to be a beautiful picture of what the age to come is gonna look like when Christ rules and reigns and sin is abolished. And what's at stake when there are divisions among us, whenever we're not planted into the church that God has called us to be a part of, is that the world around us is not seeing the beautiful picture of the age to come they're supposed to be seeing. The church is supposed to be that glimpse, that embassy of another world, of another age, and that's what is at stake. And that's why remaining worldly or remaining thinking like a mere human or remaining thinking like a person who is of this age as believers is not acceptable. Because what's at stake is God showing to the people around us his beauty and his glory that is gonna cover the face of the earth when Jesus Christ returns to rule and to reign. Look at verse five. What then is Apollos? That was that awesome preacher that everybody subscribed to his podcast. What is Paul? That's the church planner that nobody wanted to hear his podcast anymore. But servants through, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, that's Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So he's using an analogy. He says, like, we as a church are God's field or God's farm, Right? The church is God's field or God's farm. It means that, that God, that this, this sort of outpost, this embassy, this glimpse of the future that we're, that we're talking about, this is God's field that he is planting, that he is working in. And that gives us a couple of things. First of all, in verse nine, we see that the, the field belongs to God. It's God's field. It belongs to him. He purchased it at an incredibly high price. When God wanted to declare and show his glory and show his beauty to this world of darkness all around, what he did is he sent his son, he purchased a bride, he created this, this whole new community, this whole new society to showcase in the midst of the darkness his beauty and his glory. He gave a high price in order to purchase it. The price was his son and the blood of his son. Think about that. 
We run over that all the time. But if you're a believer in Christ this morning, God paid a high price. The cost of God, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, becoming sin on your behalf, bearing your penalty, and being separated from the other two heads of the Godhead in some way that we can't even understand in order to unite you back to the Father, in order to create this church, this field, this farm that God is creating. He paid a high price for it. And then it tells us that not only does the field, this farm, belong to God, but it says that cultivation is required. In verses 6 through 8, he's talking about how he planted in Apollos water, but God gave the growth. He says that he who plants is anything, or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's saying that whenever the whole kind of simultaneously saints and sinners things that we talked about before, like whenever you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were made righteous before the Father. And some of us had experiences where, hey, I was, you know, I was a drug addict before, I was an alcoholic before, and I became a believer and I never desired it again. I was like, I have a friend of mine. He says, I cussed like a sailor before I was a believer. I became a believer, put my faith in, in Christ, and I never cussed again after that. Never felt any inclination towards it anymore. My language totally changed. That is some of our experiences in here, but most of our experiences is a couple minutes afterwards, like what we already said, like you're trying to beat your kids in the back of the, of the, of the car. You're arguing with your, with your spouse. You and I deal with temptations and problems all the time. But the... The idea is that you aren't, it doesn't instantly happen, growth. You individually and us as a church doesn't happen overnight. We're not a mushroom. A mushroom appears overnight, right? Like you walk out and said, how in the world did that happen? It wasn't there yesterday. This big old nasty mushroom is now here. It wasn't there yesterday. But Christian growth doesn't happen like that. It happens the way I grew up surrounded by farms. John Letson looks like he's gonna go farming right after he leaves here today. Like, I grew up on a farm. You go out there, you have to till the soil. Then you have to plant the seed. Then you have to weed it and keep the weeds out so it doesn't kill it. You have to fertilize it. If, it's not, if there's no rain, you have to water it. You have to watch it and care for it. And over time, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly and continually. You can't sit there and watch it grow, but you see it day to day, week to week, and you see the plant is growing. That's the way Christian life happens. But cultivation is required. It doesn't just happen automatically. It's not a microwave. It's not set it and forget it. It happens through watering and planting. And so if you want to grow as a believer, the way that you're going to grow as a believer is that you're in a place, that you're patterned in your life, that you're surrounded by people who are going to be planting the seed, that's the word of God, the gospel in you, and they're going to be watering that. It means you're going to be a part of a church where that's happening. It's going to be, it means that you're going to be a part of sharing life with people that are going to be doing that with you. Cultivation is required. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a mushroom. And then look at verses one through four and verse seven. It shows us that uh, production is expected. And Paul is writing to them because he, he's having a problem with the immaturity that's going on. He's at, so they're acting like mere men. There's, there, and then he says down in verse seven, so neither he who plants nor he waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
The whole idea is that we would be a, a field, we'd be God's farm, that we would be being planted, we would be being watered, that God would be, that, that we would be working in each other's lives to plant seeds in each other's lives, to water the seed in each other's lives, that somebody's gonna, we're gonna go where there's preaching going on, where we're hearing music, where we're singing, like the whole pattern, the rhythm of life that we're talking about is going on, that, we're, that I'm be, where the word is being planted, it's being watered, but then the goal is that there would be production, there would be a harvest, there would be something that would go back, that would come out of it, that God would be glorified in our midst by more and more mature lives and a church, a community of people, this field, this glimpse, this embassy that's looking more and more and more like the kingdom that's to come. It means not only are you individually looking more and more like Jesus, but collectively, we are collectively looking more and more like Jesus together. And so that the way that we have friendships and interact with each other, the way that we conduct our business, the way that we love each other and bear each other's burdens and cry with each other and laugh with each other showcases the world that is to come today in our midst. The church is God's field or it's God's farm, but it also tells us then that the field or the farm requires a variety of labors, of laborers. Verse five, he says, what then is Apollos, what then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. We all have different jobs. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Together in Myrtle Beach, the different churches have different jobs. There are today, because the, the Myrtle Beach uh, metropolitan area has been expanded to cover Brunswick County. I don't know if you guys heard about that. I care about stuff like that. You probably don't. That means that the Myrtle Beach metropolitan area now has over 400,000 people in it. Majority of those, well over 50% of those, don't know Jesus Christ as a personal savior. Almost two-thirds of those are not involved in a local church. That means it's a job that's too big for a little doxa church. It's a job that's too big for mega church that's down the road. It's gonna take all of us working together in order to reach them. We're not the new, awesome church that's better than everybody else. We're one more church, one more prong, one more person, one more man in the army that's stepping up to reach Myrtle Beach for Jesus. But we're just one. That also means that each of you individually has a job. If Paul planted and Apollos watered, but it's God that gave the growth, that means that you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have a job in the farm. It may be toting supplies from one field to the other. It may be the glorious job of milking the cow. But whatever job that you and I have, we have a job. And the farm doesn't work if all the laborers aren't working together. And Paul, that's what Paul was saying. Hey, you're saying, hey, I'm for Apollos or I'm for Paul. He says, you're missing the point. We're all on the same team. If one guy doesn't plant and the other guy doesn't water, the harvest doesn't happen. And if you, whatever job that you have, if you aren't taking up your tool, your pitchfork, your hoe, if you're not jumping on your tractor and doing your job, then the whole thing isn't gonna work like it's supposed to work. It all will fall apart. 
Each of us individually has a job, each church has a job, and each pastor or minister has a job. That means that like, there's not going to be some of us that are, hey, I'm, uh, I'm a Matt, on the Matt Chandler side, and hey, I'm on, the, uh, I'm on the whatever other guy you might be for. I'm a Tim Keller guy. I'm, I'm this guy. I'm that guy. We're working for the same team. So the thing that we're going to get excited about, we're not going to get excited about so-and-so who speaks a podcast or even for some reason this dude who's up here. We're going to get excited, not about Docs of Church, but about Jesus. That's one reason, and I'm not against it. We'll probably have them one day. People have talked about maybe we should have some car decals or some T-shirts or something. And the one reason I just haven't been big about is I'd rather us get more excited about Jesus than about Docs of Church. In verse eight, he tells us that we're working towards the same end. He who plants and who waters are one, and each will receive its wages according to his labor. We're mutually dependent upon each other. That's true in the Myrtle Beach area. As churches, we're mutually dependent upon each other. We wanna work together to reach the Myrtle Beach area. But it also means that in the local body of this local body that we're mutually dependent upon each other. That if one person isn't planting, the other isn't watering, one person isn't milking the cow, one person isn't bailing the hay, or I'm, I'm already, I grew up around a farm, but that, that's makes sense to my knowledge, I don't know. That's probably not even knowledge. There's things that I've heard on TV or on movies before. The goal isn't planting or watering. The goal is the harvest. Verse eight, it also tells us that each of us will be accountable for our job. He says that they will receive the wages according to his labor. That means if you're a part of a local body of believers and God has gifted you with particular talents and gifts and you're not using them, I'm not asking for volunteers on Sunday morning, though that would be welcome. I'm just looking about for us as a, as a body of believers to operate in life with each other. And if that's not happening, we will each be accountable for how we are or are not using the tools that he's put in our belt. And then verse nine, it says, for we are God's fellow workers. And the, the, the wording there in the original language means that we are fellow workers together who belong to God. So all the churches in the area, us collectively together as this body of believers, we are fellow workers together that belongs to God. We're just God's servants. We don't own the field. We don't own the farm. We're hired servants, farmhands that work on the farm. How are you working? And then though we're called to work, it requires cultivation that God's requiring. He's going to keep us accountable. There's going to be, um, there's, there's, going to, there's a variety of gifts. We all have different jobs. Cultivation is required. Production is expected. The growth comes only from God. He says that over and over again. Verse six, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Some plant, but that doesn't create the growth. Some water, but that doesn't create the growth. It's only God mysteriously working behind the scenes that creates the growth. 
isn't it interesting with all the advancements in technology that we have, like these super seeds that we're planting that, you, you know, Monsanto Pro or against, like whatever, you, wherever you follow, like all these super seeds that we're planting that we still have very limited control over it. You plant the seed in the ground and you, we can't make it happen. It just something happens there. And if the sunlight is right, the temperature is right, and the water is right, then a plant grows. That's the mysterious part about you growing individually in the Christian life, us growing as a body, and us collectively together as churches in the Myrtle Beach area reaching the over 200,000 people who don't know who Jesus Christ is, the larger maybe 300,000 people who aren't a part of a local church. God mysteriously takes your weak planting, your weak watering. He takes my weak, my weak preaching. He takes our weak planting as a church. He takes your weakness in your community group whenever you're tired and you don't want to go. Whenever you're with somebody's crying and you don't know what to say to them. When someone's having a looks like they're down on a Sunday morning and you start to talk to them and you don't know what to say. I'm not a people person. I'm I'm more of an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. What if I bumble it? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I point them to the wrong thing? God takes our weak planting and our weak watering and he gives the growth. The real question about being a part, choosing, plugging into, and joining a church isn't about whether it fits my needs or it's the flavor that I like or the price point is right, the service lasts this long and I'm okay with that or the people are decent enough, the preacher's okay enough, the children's ministry's okay enough, it's kind of in my sweet spot, I can take it. The real question that we should ask about when it comes to plugging into and being part of a local body of believers is who's the star of the show? What's the point? Is the point so that you can come and you can feel good when you leave after you leave here? Is the point so the music can move you? Is the point so you can be smarter or nicer or feel better about yourself? Or is the purpose that God would take your and my weak planting and weak watering cause mysterious growth in this field that we've been talking about that would declare his glory and his beauty to the dark world that surrounds us. Whose field is it and what's my point in being here? The church, the field, the farm belongs to God. You and I belong to God. We are the ground that's being tilled. We are the servant that's planting and we're the servant that's watering. And the goal is that he would receive the harvest, our growing lives and people who, who come to know him, who do not yet know him, that join this field and that he would receive the glory. So here's two questions we're gonna end with. How do you view the church? Is it a restaurant that's the right flavor that you're like, you can buy into that? Is it something that you've been hurt by and you're not really sure about it so you wanna keep it at arm's length like a bad relationship? Is it something that you're like, you think should give you goosebumps and get you excited whenever you come? Or is the church God's precious bride that he died for and that he is determined to use to show forth his beauty 
and his glory and the truth of his gospel, the beauty that's found in Jesus Christ in the way that you and I live, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we do business together and with the outside world so the people around see God for the glorious one that he is. And then here's the follow-up question. According to the definition, according to what Paul is talking about an immature and a mature believer is today, are you a mature believer or are you an immature believer? A mature believer, he's, he's saying, is somebody who is able to not just be the ground that's getting the milk like a, like a nursing mother, like you're waiting for a bottle to come to you to be fed. Or a mature believer is one who is grasping that and is then becoming a planter and a waterer himself. Or are you an immature believer who's just shopping for the better flavor church? The more like me church? Or is all about a particular denomination or a particular group of people that hold a particular doctrine or a particular tradition, a particular podcast? A mature believer jumps into the field and plants and waters with the intention that God would get the glory and he'd show forth, show forth his beauty even though it's gonna be a church that's pretty and ugly at the same time. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna, the band's gonna come up and they're gonna, or Jamin's gonna come and he's gonna play for just a minute or so just to give us a chance for each of us prayerfully. Maybe consider these questions or maybe God's dealing with you on something else for you to think about that and deal with that. And then Josh is gonna come up, the intern, and he's going to, he's gonna give us a little in, uh, intro for communion, something for us to think about. And then as you feel free, he and Justin are gonna offer the bread and the juice to you. You can come up as you feel free, does it the band, as Jamin is playing. You take the bread, you dip it in the cup. And let's remember how Jesus died for his body, for his bride, for his church, that he might declare his glory and his beauty to the world around us. Father, I thank you for the fact that you gave yourself for us. And giving yourself for us, it wasn't just for me individually, but you gave yourself for your bride, for your body, us collectively. And you haven't called us to be a bunch of churches that act like a, a better McDonald's or a we do fried chicken better or we do uh, seafood better than any other place on the beach, but you've called us to be a community of people that are working towards the end that you would declare your glory and your beauty through your beautiful and ugly bride, your church, to the people around us. And Father, I pray that you would move upon our hearts this morning, that you'd help us to uh, buy in, to... to uh, dig into this uh, field that you've called us to be a part of. To offer our gifts and talents, to offer ourselves, to be tilled, to be planted in, to be watered, but also to be the ones who are also planting and watering in each other's lives. For your glory and for our joy. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. 
We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.